Hello and welcome to the Medical Student Ambassador podcast. In this Day in the Life of series, we'll be interviewing clinicians at the Great Ormond Street Hospital from a variety of different specialties. We're hoping to give you insight into what it's like to work at GOSH and how our guests got to where they are today. In this episode, we'll be talking to Dr. Jacob Simmons, a consultant cardiologist at GOSH. So without further ado, let's dive into today's episode. Welcome to our podcast. I'm Vicky, a final year medical student at the University of Leeds and one of your hosts today. We also have Christine, a consultant neonatologist and undergraduate lead at Great Ormond Street, who will also be hosting today. And we are very excited to be interviewing Dr. Jacob Simmons. Thank you so much for coming onto the podcast today. So to start us off, could you tell us a bit more about your specialty? What does it involve? Well, I'm a paediatric cardiologist and we look at diseases of the heart for children from day one and in, in fact even fetal life actually up to children of, of 18 years of age and I guess our our main body of work will be children born with congenital heart disease so some of those children will be diagnosed antenatally either by chance or because there's a family history of congenital heart disease in the family and in those circumstances children will be born already with a plan in mind the less complicated of those congenital heart diseases would probably not require any, any intervention at birth, but more severe ones where there is a, a lack of blood flow to either the pulmonary arteries or, or the aorta would need intervention as soon as the baby's born. Over time, we've got better and better at diagnosing those babies antenatally. I'd say probably around three quarters of the work that the pediatric cardiology unit does is with congenital heart disease. In addition, we have some other subspecialties. So diseases of the heart rhythm, electrophysiological diseases, and we have a separate team who subspecializes in those. And those will be children who might be born again with abnormal heart rhythms or maybe develop them throughout their childhood. And some of them might need to be started on medicines to stabilize their heart rhythms or even go to the catheter lab in order to have ablations of abnormal pathways. And then a further section is, is where I subspecialize myself, which is in diseases of the heart muscle, cardiomyopathies, and also patients who go on to need a heart transplant. So about a, a third of our patients will need a heart transplant having been diagnosed with a congenital heart disease for which we either have no operations or the operations that we have tried have only been partially successful. And then they go on to need a heart transplant, but two thirds of the children who come to heart transplant will actually have had a cardiomyopathy, a disease of the heart muscle. And I think overall, there is definite overlap between each of those sections, the congenital heart disease and the cardiomyopathy and, and the electrophysiology, but that's generally how the specialty is subdivided. Thank you so much. Sounds so interesting and also very complex. And I think this is just a picture of what happens at Great Ormond Street Hospital as well. So because you're so specialized. I think students always ask us about how is your day today? So would you mind sharing a bit how it's your work day? Yeah, so I work in a team of four consultants and a couple of registrars and also some dedicated subspecialty nurses. And we work in a, in a very non-hierarchical way and all of the team members work through each of the problems with the patient. So our day usually starts with 
a meeting of some description it might be an educational meeting or it might be what we call the JCC, which is the joint cardiac conference where we're deciding on plans for complicated patients. Anyone who needs a cardiac operation needs to go through that meeting, which will have cardiologists, cardiac surgeons, anesthetists, intensive care doctors, and, and nurses, where one of the registrars in general will present the case and we'll talk through the options and then make a, a consensus decision, which often is that the child needs surgery. After that, we start a ward round and I have a subspecialty ward round where I look at the patients with heart function problems and heart transplant patients. And we start on intensive care. We go around the intensive care with the intensive care doctors. And that's a, a good way of making sure that, that there is joined up thinking between both those teams. And in general, in my subspecialty team, we'll have somewhere between five and 10 patients to see. Some of those are, are patients who are waiting a, a long time in the hospital, might be relatively stable waiting for a heart transplant, for instance. So some of those children will be on inotropes or, or ventilated for a period of time. And if they're stuck and we can't improve them, we'll move them on to something called a, a Berlin heart ventricular assist device. So some of those patients may be waiting in the hospital for six months, 12 months, maybe even longer. And the day-to-day -day of those patients, hopefully, usually is relatively straightforward. So those parts of the ward round move quite quickly. But other times when we're meeting patients who have deteriorated, meeting new patients, meeting patients soon after their heart transplant, for instance, we can spend perhaps 20 or 30 minutes on, on a patient, making sure that we've got everything right. And the idea is that we get a, a good understanding of what's happened, particularly overnight, but in the last 24 hours and what the plans for the next 24 hours are. In the afternoon, when the ward round's finished, we're moving through the, the plans that we've made for those inpatients. So we'll be performing echocardiography, taking patients to the cath lab, for instance, looking at patients going for an MRI or a CT scan. And then two days a week, we also have a full day clinic. One of those clinics is a heart function clinic, and, and that involves patients who are either at risk of developing heart failure, having a cardiomyopathy, perhaps a cardiomyopathy in, in the family or a, a syndrome that might lead on to having a cardiomyopathy where we're screening those children. A large number of those will be boys with Duchenne muscular dystrophy, for instance, who we know will at some point between the ages of 10 and 20 develop a cardiomyopathy and, and need treatment. And the other part of the clinic is, is children who actually do have heart function problems and in, in heart failure. So that's our heart failure clinic, which runs on a Tuesday. And again, it's a, a clinic that combines the expertise of the nurses, the subspecialty nurses and the registrars and, and the consultants together. And then on a Wednesday, we have the heart transplant clinic, which is for patients following heart transplant. And that's actually usually quite a, a fun, relaxed clinic. Most patients after transplant are, are generally doing very well. There are lots of complications that happen post-transplant for sure, but the day-to-day -day life of these children is hopefully very stable. Most of them are going to school, doing exams, taking part in PE, and with ever-improving results and, and outcomes for children with heart transplantation, particularly, I must say, at Great Ormond Street, most of those children are doing very well. We'll also be looking for problems with infection or rejection after heart transplant, and maybe once every 10 clinics, we might need to admit one of those patients to the ward because they've come in unexpectedly and more unwell than we, we thought they would be.
But a lot of what we do at Great Cornwall Street and, and in the subspecialty teams in particular is conversing with the local teams, the local hospitals or the local pediatric cardiac units, because many of our patients will be coming from a long way away. We have patients down in Cornwall, in North Wales, patients in the north of England and Scotland, and even Northern Ireland and, and Ireland itself. And a lot of the time we're trying to make sure that we've got a good oversight of those patients and give our particular expertise. There are only two pediatric heart transplant units in the country, for instance. So most patients and most pediatricians might have one pediatric heart transplant patient, and even the cardiologists won't see many. So we have to spend a lot of time conversing with that. And again, it, it's a combination and a, and a collaboration between the patient, the family, their local GP, the local services, local pediatrician, and then their local pediatric cardiologist. And that's quite a nice model that has served the patients well, I think. And then we also, in our day-to-day -day stuff, we'll be giving lectures and work our education, both within the hospital for our own juniors and, and for elsewhere. And then a lot of the time we're also talking about referrals that are coming from other hospitals. So most of the time for me, that will be patients with known heart muscle disease who are looking like they're getting worse and pediatric cardiologists around the country will be asking us, is this time, do we need to consider a ventricular assist device? Is this a patient that we need to think about heart transplant listing? Is this even a patient who needs to come to Grace Thomas Street today? And in my day-to-day -day job, it'll be patients with cardiomyopathy, but I also still do general pediatric cardiology. And as we talked about, that's generally congenital heart disease patients. And so they might be a patient who's born unexpectedly cyanosed. We call those blue babies and how much we can treat them locally or how quickly they need to move to a cardiac unit. Or other times it will be patients who have otherwise been well and growing up in their childhood, three years, five years, 10 years, 16 years old, we take referrals up to who are declaring themselves with a pediatric cardiology problem. And, and again, that will be trying to triage how best to treat those patients. Unfortunately, we are always struggling for, for beds at Greater Thomas Street. It's a, a design of the system that when you are a tertiary unit, you are trying to take only the patients who need the extra special care. And often we're bringing patients to, to see us review them and, and then perhaps repatriating them to a local pediatric cardiology unit. So interesting. And just have a question, when do you hand over these pediatric patients to adult care? Which age? Well, the adult teams can't see them before their 16th birthday. And we can't see them after their 18th birthday. One of the important things is that we're not allowed to admit adults over the age of 18 onto the ward at Great Thomas Street. So during that period, we, we call that period transition between the 16th and the 18th birthdays. And I was thinking about transition often starts a lot younger. We know when you're 12 years old and you've got congenital heart disease or you've got a cardiomyopathy that you're going to need lifelong care. And so we we're already trying to set the patients up for moving from a more pediatric framework to an adult one. I think in our subspecialty, we're very keen, even for the youngest children, to address them first of all in clinic, make sure that they understand it's, it's them that we're interested in, not necessarily the parents as a, as a first port of call, but certainly by the time you get to about 12 in the heart function or heart failure clinics, we'll be trying to see the patients by themselves to start with. So they'll be invited in to see us for five minutes before they come in with their parents. And that serves a lot of purposes. 
on rare occasions, they will want to speak to you without worrying their parents. Perhaps they've had some symptoms that they've been worried about that they don't want to tell their parents. But actually, more commonly, it's just a way of making sure that they have a, a, a voice to be heard and that they have an ability to ask questions if, if they need to without their parents perhaps being too too controlling. Is that the wrong word? Maybe. And then by the time they're 14 or 15, we'll be saying to them, the choice is yours. Some of the patients don't want to be in the baby hospital anymore. They're grown up 16 year olds and they want to go as soon as they can. The vast majority of the parents are very happy with staying at Great Ormond Street for as long as they can. And, and the thought of moving on, particularly when we've been perhaps through very stressful times in their lives, is actually quite a worry to them. So most of the parents actually want to stay until, until the very end, 18th birthday. But yeah, it happens sometime between the 16th and 18th birthday. Amazing. I actually remember sitting in on one of the transition clinics. It was such an interesting experience, actually. I can vouch for that. So would you mind sort of sharing your career journey with us and what made you choose your specialty? Yeah, I'm... I. Very early on in my life, I decided I wanted to be a doctor and my, my school friends still laugh at me when they think about me saying that I wanted to work at Great Ormond Street when I was about nine years old. So those decisions were relatively straightforward. I, I always wanted to be a pediatrician, I think, and then quite quickly at medical school, the idea of pediatric cardiology stood out for me. I did my house officer jobs, as they were called then in Banbury and in Welling Garden City and then quite quickly moved to London on a paediatric rotation. And that rotation, I was lucky that the last six months of that four, six month period was with the nephrology team of Great Ormond Street, who were marvelous. They are a really fantastic group of people, I must say. And I loved my time in nephrology, but I always wanted to do paediatric cardiology. So after a, a short period of doing intensive care at the Evelina Children's Hospital, I came back to Great Ormond Street to do the heart transplant job. And to start with, quite a lot of that time was actually in research. So I was looking at the history of heart transplant at Great Ormond Street and compared to most transplant units, we have a very large number of pediatric heart transplants. So with the help of my senior colleagues, Mike Birch, Phil Reese, Matthew Fenton, we published a lot of papers during that time, which was, which was nice and interesting. And at the same time, I was getting my, my feet wet in clinical pediatric cardiology. I then got a pediatric cardiology number and they're a little bit different to most numbers. Pediatric cardiology training is, is separate to everything else. So now at ST4 level, you step away from training as a general pediatrician and you train only as a pediatric cardiologist and my pediatric cardiology training was to start with at, at the Royal Brompton Hospital. And then I came back to Great Ormond Street to finish that off. And at, at the end of that, I came back to, to subspecialize in pediatric heart transplant again. And then I graduated from being the registrar to being one of the consultants in the team. So my, my path, I suppose, has been relatively narrow. A lot of people actually opt to go abroad, which I think is an, an excellent idea. And there are a really great units, particularly in the United States and Canada, where a lot of our trainees go to. And similarly, we receive a lot of trainees from particularly Australia, South Africa, New Zealand, but all around really, who come for six months or a year 
And then some of them stay for longer and, and even graduate themselves to be consultants at Greater Fulmer Street. And I think if I was to go back, probably it might've been nice to have spent some time abroad. It didn't really fit with how my career was moving and my family. So that's why that didn't happen to a certain extent. But I think if I was going to say to someone going forward, that would be a, a good thing to, to consider. There's always time to go abroad and do something else. <laughs> it's an amazing journey, but it's not always perfect. So would you mind us sharing a bit of the pros and cons of cardiology? I think for pediatric cardiology, that one of the things that most of us think is a pro, but is also a big con is how you subspecialize so early on. So in our training, if you want to be a pediatric cardiologist, you probably don't want to do a lot of the other general pediatric training, which involves a lot of neonates feeding and growing and involves a lot of A&E and involves some community pediatrics. And all of those things are, are definitely worthwhile and interesting, but generally for pediatric cardiologists, that's not what you want to do. You want to get on and, and progress with the specialized training that we do. But the con of that is at the end of your training, you are just a pediatric cardiologist. You can only work in 10 or 11 hospitals around the country, which has to fit in with your, with your family somehow. And, and for me, it worked out well. My wife works in London and, and so that's fine, but you are limited. There is a middle ground actually, which is called being a pediatrician with expertise in cardiology, where you'll actually train as a pediatrician, you'll CCT with pediatrics rather than pediatric cardiology. But your knowledge of pediatric cardiology is such that you can give some extra help in a general DGH setting. You'd be able to do an echo of a, of a newborn baby and diagnose a problem and also look after those patients as they, as they go up, as we talked about before, that collaboration between the local units and the, and the pediatric cardiac units. So I think that's probably the, the biggest con is that it is, is difficult. You have to be really committed. And you have to understand that at the end of it, that's the only job you're going to be good at. You make your mind up early. I think that's the hardest thing for most people. And looking back, what advice would you give to younger selves if you had any? I mean, I guess we've touched on some of that. It, it would have been interesting to spend six months or, or a year in Toronto or, or in New York or Melbourne or Sydney, some of the bigger pediatric cardiology units around the world. But I think... The most important thing is to really take advantage of the, of the opportunities that you're given. I think I was very blessed with the seniors that I've grown up with. I was lucky I came to pediatric cardiology unit as an SHO and very quickly people were very supportive because I did want to do pediatric cardiology and they helped me throughout my career. And, and that would be doctors who were just a few years ahead of me or doctors who were very close to retirement. There was a real sense that the, the only way that we can move forward with pediatric cardiology is to make sure that there is a succession plan and that can be rather informal, which is important, but also it could be much more formal and, and certainly Mike Birch, who, who led the pediatric heart transplant unit, certainly made a, a great effort to make sure that we had a plan going forward, which, which was then Matthew Venton and now me. So I think that's probably the, the best thing, make sure you make best use of the things that are, that are given to you. Which advice would you give to medical students considering a career in pediatrics or pediatric cardiology? I'd say 
get as much experience as you can, a broad range of experience. The chances are that even if you become just a general pediatrician, you will subspecialize in something, whether it be allergy or spiritual medicine or gastroenterology, and make sure that you find something that really works for you, both on an intellectual level and on a more personal level. I think if you're going to do intensive care, for instance, as you know, Christine, you'll be very busy. There will be a lot of on call. There'll be a lot of people calling you when you're not on call. You will never be able to drop things and your days will go fast for sure. And, and pediatric cardiology is probably towards that end of the spectrum of being a busy job that requires you to be on call and, and, and give up that little bit more of yourself in, in that way. That doesn't mean that if you were to do a specialty that has less on call commitments, that you're not as committed to your patients at all, but it, it does mean that there will be times when when you have to be at the end of the phone. But similarly, think about how you might want to do research within your field. What, what does that look like? Is there questions that you think you want to be a part of answering going forward? Do you want to do a lot of lab work or do you want to be involved in more transformational research? Where is it that, that you want to be? And so I think that that's the thing, but find good people, ask questions. And I suppose, is there anything that uh, medical students or doctors earlier on in their training that they could be doing to, to make it easy to get into pediatric cardiology? Yeah, it's, it's difficult. I think the strains and, and pressures on people to conform to a certain level so that they can get through, particularly the grading systems, the number jobs is difficult. You get points for having a certain degree or having done research previously. And probably going into that with your eyes open, even though I'm not saying that it's a tick box exercise, but going into that with your eyes open and understanding, well, in three years time, I'm going to be applying for a number. And what I need to have done by then is I need to have done a morphology course, or I need to have made sure that I've been involved in some quality improvement project. Understanding that early is probably the best thing. So you talked a lot about your several different and very interesting activities, but could you just tell us more of how you keep works and personal life balance? Yeah, I, I, yeah, it's, it's hard. I think everyone finds their own pathway and actually, particularly since COVID and, and working from home has become a, a much bigger thing. I actually don't mind so much that, that morphing. I, d I don't mind giving up an hour of my time here where I'm going to get an hour of my time back somewhere else. So that flexibility has really improved things for me. So for instance, as you go on your career, maybe you have a family and have children, which I do often you're finding yourself, how do I get to go and watch a, a ballet performance or a rugby game in the middle of the day? And actually over time, we've got a much better, a great almost street at realizing, I think that those things are important to people. We know that the consultants and the registrars are going to put the, the energy and the time in to their work when they're not being paid for it. So actually that has helped a lot, that flexibility. I have a lot of fun with my family, I suppose. We, we do a lot of stuff together. My daughter recently has, has got quite into cinema. And so we, we go and, and, and watch good old movies at cinemas around London, which is great. My son is a very keen 
sportsman. And so I spend a lot of my time kicking and throwing and, and catching balls from him of various descriptions. Medicine isn't something that you can easily leave behind at five o'clock, regardless of what you, your specialty is. And that's partly because there's always things to do, but also that new things come up. And I've certainly definitely benefited throughout my career of having people who aren't supposed to be working, but knowing that they don't mind me calling. One of the most obvious of those is when we get a donor offer of a heart transplant or a lung transplant, and it's not always easy to make a decision as to whether this organ is the one for the patient that you're thinking about. And so being able to call on people out of their office time is important in my life. And I try and make sure that I am available for others, but at the same time, quickly get back to throwing balls or whatever it might be. It's glad to hear that there's been more of a balance since, since COVID. And lastly, if you could have any other career in the world, what would it be? That's an easy one. I was, I did always want to be as doctor as, as I talked about, but I also used to play a lot of jazz music. I played jazz piano and, and double bass. And whenever I'm getting too big for my boots at home, my family will remind me that actually I didn't really want to be a doctor. I wanted to be a jazz musician. So, you know, my children both are good musicians. They play a variety of instruments. So we play a lot of music at home. Also try and go to jazz clubs when I can. And all, there's always a slight pang that, that that's not what I'm doing. But golly gosh, those guys work even harder than we do with worse hours. I mean, why would I want to do that? Maybe that's what I was attracted to. Amazing. Thank you so much, Jacob. This was so interesting. It was really nice to, to talk to you today. It's been my pleasure, Christine. Thanks, Vicky. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of Gosh Pods. We would love to get your feedback about the episode and get your ideas for future topics that you would like to hear covered. You can find a link to our feedback page in the description for the episode or email us at digital.learning at gosh.nhs.uk. If you want to hear more about the work of the Gosh Learning Academy, you can find us on Twitter, Instagram and LinkedIn or visit our website at www.gosh.nhs.uk and search Learning Academy. We hope you enjoyed this episode and we'll see you next time. Goodbye.